You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, happy Saturday, and welcome back into the Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week podcast. I'm host and audio producer of the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, Steven Serta. The NFL draft is in the books, and the Chiefs, no matter where you look, graded out as a very strong 2022 NFL draft class. So we're going to start things off on today's show with the Arrowhead Pride Draft Room. They had a full draft recap on Monday immediately following the draft weekend. After that, we're going to take a quick timeout, and when we get back, we'll hear from the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. They had some marinated draft takeaways, and then we will finish things up with Show and BK, discussing whether or not the Chiefs managed to grab any superstars or, or potential future stars in this draft class that's all coming up on today's arrowhead pride best of the week okay we, we're, we're talking about the draft here for anyone who lived under a rock all weekend and didn't uh, didn't see the entirety of what the chiefs selected here's the rundown real quick for you so in the first round the chiefs ended up trading up for cornerback trent mcduffie from washington and then also drafting george Karloftis, the purdue edge rusher in the second round the chiefs trade uh traded down actually traded down a few spots and and picked sky Moore, the western michigan wide receiver and then stood pat at a 62 pick and took safety brian cook from cincinnati in the third round the only third round pick they had the chiefs took leo chanel the wisconsin linebacker on day three the chiefs started out taking joshua williams a fayetteville state cornerback who they met with in the pre-draft process in the fifth round the chiefs Steal of the draft, we'll talk about it a little later, but uh, Kentucky offensive tackle Darian Kennard, um, he went number 145 overall in the fifth round. And then with their three seventh-round picks, they ended up taking another cornerback, Jalen Watson, the Washington State cornerback, another one they met in the pre-draft process along with Joshua Williams. Running back Isaiah Pacheco, Pacheco, I have checked the pronunciation on that, uh, for Rutgers. And then finally rounding it out, the Safety from Marshall. I, I believe he's a safety. We'll see. He played about 50% of his uh, snaps in the slot last year. They drafted him as a safety, though, and that is Nazi Johnson, the Marshall safety. So 10 picks in total, the Chiefs did. Lots to break down there, but I do want to start off here, fellas. We did a little draft amongst ourselves before the draft, drafting players that we think the Chiefs could pick. And, uh, you know, I don't mean to brag, but only one of us here picked the guy they actually selected. Uh, yeah, I got, I got lucky. I took George Karloftis. I mean, we all kind of saw this coming, right? I think, I don't think anyone was surprised to see Karloftis go off the board. He was a very Spags edge. You can actually hear Spags, um, come out later and, and, uh, say, or he was talking to him on the phone. was like, Oh, you were my favorite edge in the class or whatever, or maybe amongst the ones available. Yeah. Okay. Spags. Anyway. So looking at your guys' teams, when you guys look at them right now, is there anybody from your team that you drafted that you were just like, Man, I really wish they would have found a way to get him. It would have been really cool. And I know, you know, I know there's a few options for this, right? But uh, 
just looking at your class, any realistic options where you're like, man, how did they not end up with them on the team? Um, I, I mean, just personally, I really like Josh Pascal. And, but once that George Carter's right. pick happened, it was all but gone. Like they're not going to take him They're They're pretty much, they, they bring a lot of the same things. So, um, but yeah, I mean, those first two rounds, you know, I, depending on which way they went, I was really hoping Pascal would have been the, the edge that they maybe traded up for in the second round had, you know, depending on how they went. But after that Carl Atkins pick, like I said, I, I knew it wasn't going to happen. But for me, that was the guy I was really hoping for. Yep. That's, that's good logic there. Um, I really like Pascal. Brian, you had a few guys that, that would have been cool to see in Chiefs uniform. I'll be honest when they, when they traded up in the first round, I actually thought it was going to be for Jermaine Johnson. I think we all did, right? It, yep. it made a little too much sense. And he actually fell, I mean, ended up being what 24, I think. And it, it felt like a dream, you know, but not that he's a perfect prospect. Like he's, he's not. And there are some, you know, things as far as like, he's not the bendiest rusher, similar to what you'd say about Carl Loftus, but, um, you know, that being said, I understand the McDuffie pick. I like it a lot. Um, it's not anything against that. It's just that was a situation where I, I was all but certain that they were going up for Jermaine and would have been really, really thrilled if they had. Same here, man. No, I really did, too. I, you know, you mentioned how maybe some similarities between him and Carl Loftus. I do think Jermaine Johnson just had the bigger build, right? A little bit bigger of a, of a build or just a better build, better frame for, as a as a traditional defensive end in, in a 4-3 defense. Just a little more juice in terms of getting around that edge and, and getting after a quarterback, in my opinion. Both high floor prospects. I mean, Jermaine Johnson had a higher floor to me. And he is that is going to be one of those things that I feel like, you know, as people that follow the draft, we're always going to be comparing him and Johnson. Um, and it's not going to be – the greatest feeling in the world if, if Johnson's a lot better of a pass rusher and, and is a really good player in the NFL and Carl Loftus is maybe not as good. Uh, but we'll see because you're right. They traded up for McDuffie. You know, uh, Johnson wasn't there at the second pick, so, you know, you can't blame him too much at, at some point if they really valued cornerback over, over Jermaine Johnson. So I thought that was fun, though. But let's get into some big-picture takeaways here, fellas. We've got the whole draft now. You guys followed us along. You guys saw our live streams and reacting to each pick as it happened. You know, it, it, you know when you're reacting to each pick as it happens, it's, it's you're only looking at that one player for that one spot. Um, you're not looking at the big picture, obviously, each time. There's a lot going on. Now we have the whole draft ready to go. The whole draft are done. You know, they're all, they're all um, finalized. Big picture takeaways for me. I'll start here. I just really feel like when you're talking about the needs that we that we all talk about all offseason or all draft process, the defensive needs they were going to need, we talked about cornerback, right? We talked about safety. We talked about defensive end. We talked about another linebacker. They hit all those. They, they hit all of those positions. You know, the only thing they didn't really do was double up on edge and defensive line, but they at least addressed it with somebody that you're pretty confident is going to come in right away and chew up that that you know snaps at defensive end so just I, I really think that you know even if they didn't mean to or not they went after needs pretty hard on the defensive side of the ball especially and they did i think pretty well when you look at what they did defensively what else stands out to you um you know because i do think you know they picked carl Loftus, but could we be more could could there have been more additions to the defensive line room guys do you think do you think they, they that was kind of short-sighted um could there have been you know more additions in the defensive line room what do you think I mean, I think 
within house, I think it just kind of speaks to who they have. They must like Stallworth a lot. They must see something in Kando uh, because to not address it, it, it speaks more to, you know, that tells you just as much as if they did address it. So they must like who they have, you know, Melvin Ingram still lingering around out there. So if, yeah. if there is a late addition veteran, it could be him. Um, but yeah, obviously they like, they like the room. So if the, you know, Travis Jones, they had multiple uh, opportunities to take him. He was sliding. They kept trading back. Um, you know, Perron so Winfrey. Yeah, Perron Winfrey, that too. So I, I, they clearly did not feel those guys were, you know, uh, vital enough to their room to, to, to take them. So, yeah, I mean, I think what stands out to me is their uh, address uh, focus on the secondary and just yeah. how many picks they address there, not just corner, but safety as well. Um, so, Brett Veach clearly felt there was a big hole in the secondary in 2021 or, or, you know, for 2022. And he addressed that through the draft. Five defensive backs drafted five defensive backs drafted. That is a lot. Um, yeah. Brian, when you look at what they did defensively, what stands out to you and how, how they attacked it. In, in the defensive backfield too, it's like speed, you know, is something they clearly feel like they lacked and they did. I mean, we broke these games down all, all last year and, the safety group especially was not playing uh, at a high play speed. Um, you know, Traverius Ward, even though a, a really solid player, speed was never really his calling card either. Um, I think McDuffie's a, a little bit quicker, especially in um, tight spaces. But, you know, I, I would agree kind of with the idea that you know, we've talked about Ingram ad nauseum. It could be somebody else too. It could be Robert Quinn if he's available in the trade market. Uh, but that one pass rusher, that one edge defender to rotate with um, now Karloftis and Clark and Kando and, and Mike Dana, I think that's the missing piece. They, they need it. Um, if they're going to get to the top of the mountain, it's something they're going to have to add. But I think it's pretty much the only thing on defense right now that, that concerns me. I, th- I think they're set at linebacker. Corner is is young but deep, and safety looks set to me too. And it, it looks stronger than it has in maybe the entire uh, Patrick Mahomes era. So when you look at what they did when they drafted five defensive backs and you look at not adding pass rush, is there a, is there a chance they kind of did that reactionary, right? Is there a chance they're thinking, look, this pass rush is not going to – there's no nothing we can do right now that's going to make it like super good or the strength of our team. You know, especially maybe after the Karloftis pick and, real, and, you know, once they pick Sky Moore and realize, all right, it's kind of a drop-off and, and talented edge rushers. Could this overemphasis on defensive backs be their way of, of flipping it and saying, hey, you know, we're going to rely on our pass defense, our coverage to be the strength of our team, which helps our pass rush kind of, you know, an under uninspiring pass rush under, you know, talented pass rush maybe, you know, get home because they have a lot more time to get home because the coverage is so good. I don't think that's something that Spagnolo has has – I think he likes to, you know, start from the trenches, right? That's how I would personally. I'm a guy. Hey, get get after the quarterback, and then it allows your cornerbacks and safeties to get help, right? It might be the other way around. They're doing right now, and is that smart? I don't know, Talon. What do you think when you when you think of kind of overemphasizing coverage rather than pass rush? Are we going to get to Jan- Are we going to get to week one and just be like, well, the pass rush still isn't good, and so it means the defense still isn't really that good? I mean, is the coverage really going to be able to shadow what looks like still an uninspiring pass rush? I mean, there may be some of that happening uh, to where they're they're planning on, hey, let's let's just cover as long as we can and give our guys up front the, as much time to get to the quarterback because that's their strength, right? They're not going to be speed guys. They need a little bit of time to to get their counter moves in there. Um, 
that might be some of the thought process, but I think a lot of it was there's a lot of guys leaving that room. Tyron Matthews gone. Uh, Dan Sorensen's gone. Um, I know there's a third one that, that that's not coming to me right now, but um, so I think a lot of this is just, we, we have to refill that room and yeah, they signed Dion Bush. Yes. They brought in Justin Reed. Um, but a lot of this is, is insurance for that secondary because, it's a vital part of that defense, right? That safety room is so huge to what this defense wants to accomplish. Um, so yeah, I just, I, just, I don't know. I don't know if it's really a scheme shit or just, we have to fill that room because it's important. Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good point. Um, Brian, do you have anything to add to the fact that, you know, we they well, may just be stocking secondary, you know, because the pass rush is just lacking a little bit. Let, let me start here. I, I think more so it's just, they're, they were plucking the best guy on their board, and if, if that just so happened to be a secondary guy and another secondary guy, then then that's just how it fell. I, I think they want to build that thing out as level as possible, you know, and balanced. Um, but let me ask you about this. The, these three linebackers they have, if you do want to get into the, the conversation about blitzing and, and what they could do with those three, I mean, those, are, those are some some ass kickers, man. And, and <laughs> all three of those guys can – you know, I think do some things as pass rushers from the second level, um, even the first level, uh, especially with Chanel, the the rookie they just picked up. That's where I think Spagnolo could start to really uh, kind of open up his his mind in terms of what he can do base package wise um, with those with those dudes because they are fearless and physical. No, dude, I, I love the thought of that because there there are some things they can do here, right? I think. And first of all, let's shout out a few a few of our AP writers, some great guys in the draft team. Jared Sapp, actually, when we were live reacting to pick, you know, the pick at 54, Sky Moore, we all kind of thought the Patriots might be taking Leo Chanel there. And that kind of shows you how big of a steal it was that the Chiefs got him 50 picks later. But the one thing he kind of said was he might be the one linebacker in this class that can pull Micah Parsons and really become, uh, you know, a legit rusher off the edge as well as a, as a good off-ball linebacker. And I do think Chanel has that kind of athletic ability. And, and you mentioned the pass rush, man. I, I, I really think he has those strong hands and those quick hands and, and just his just his like his direction towards the quarterback. He's just always on a beeline towards him. He, he always finds a way to get – I mean, he – I watched the Iowa game, and he gave Tyler Linderbaum fits, man. I, Linderbaum must have nightmares about Leo Chanel. And, and I think – and you're talking about one of the best center prospects we've seen in a while, according to some people. And so that, that shows you something about what Leo Chanel can do as a rusher. And so, yeah, I, lo- I love that thought, man, the creativity they can do. And, and I, but before I get into that, because I do think that's going to be a discussion we can do a little later. I, I, you know, the first thing you said, the ass kickers, right? I think that's another big picture takeaway we can take away from this draft. All the guys they picked, man, are just guys that are coming and, and, and they're going to give you high effort and they're going to hit you. And, and they're going to give, you know, smack you. Trent McDuffie, maybe not. Maybe he's more of a finesse player, right? I do think he still has some aggressive – he's aggressive – he has an aggressive mindset, and that's – you kind of have to as a corner, as an outside corner, and I definitely think he has some of that. But, you know, he's just not the physically dominating guy like some other guys. But George Karloftis, Brian Cook, obviously a strong safety box type that's going to hit you hard. Chanel, obviously. Even on the offensive side, though, Darian Kennard, the offensive tackle from Kentucky, is going to be an ass kicker as well. So is there something too? you know, do you guys like to see them kind of just go after those guys or is, is it kind of an overrated thing maybe to consider? Um, it, it is interesting. It's definitely a theme, right? I, I would, I would think so, but it, how, how important of a theme is it? I guess it's just a fun theme, right? Yeah, clearly it was a theme for this draft and I don't know if it, they meant for it, 
but it just happened, right? It just happened that way. And it, maybe that, you know, clearly it might be a window into what they value as a draft, you know, as a draft prospect and what they try to find out throughout the process of interviews and stuff. So, um, you know, maybe it is a thing that they want to bring into the, to the locker room. They have, you know, a, a good leadership structure to, to bring in guys to, to, to harness that aggression in the right way. So, yeah, if you can, if you can get guys like that in house and make sure that they don't go outside the limits of the game, that, that just makes your team, you know, if you can score a lot of points and, and kind of let people know about it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Get, get, get you an edge. The, the skill part of course is a, is a prerequisite still like you have to be able to move functionally and, and all those guys can, but right. you know, I'm, I'm viewing it like we've seen four years of Mahomes now. And I think it's easy if you're a defensive player to kind of fall into that, especially in the regular season. Like, well, we, you know, we have Mahomes; he's going to keep us in every game. We don't have to be perfect. You know, you add all these guys on defense who are just kind of like, they played a little bit crazy. Um, I don't think you have to worry about people like that relaxing and kind of, you know, playing second fiddle. I think they're just always on and, um, at the at the uh, expense of the offensive players, like the best offenses in the AFC, they're kind of flash, right? They got the quarterbacks, the receivers, and and things like that. And when they come play the Chiefs now, it's going to be a battle, man. And they're going to be leaving those games with more bumps and bruises than they'll have probably any other week. I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. We've seen on the offensive side of the ball, we're kind of hoping that we see a more aggressive mindset when it comes to just running downhill, running down their throat. And I think defensively, you know, I do think it, it, it's something to, to mention, too. We say it's happening this year. It's a theme this year. You know, last year they picked Nick Bolton in the second round. You know, the year before they picked Legarius Sneed, who's obviously a very aggressive player, aggressive mindset type of player. You know, it's been a theme of theirs, uh, you know, for a few years of, of the kind of defensive players they've been drafting. And it's starting to, you know, become a really fun core, a really nice, fun core. Nice is not the right word, right? Uh, I shouldn't say nice, but uh you know, uh, it's a good young core for sure. And I'm excited about it. We're going to get into the exact, you know, numbers and everything of the roster a little bit later, which is going to be fun to go through. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But Steve Spagnuolo had Karloftis number one as his edge. And I don't know. I watched the call. Did you see this call? It, it seemed like Spags was being genuine there. But it, you know, you never know, I, I feel like, when you're picking at number 30 and you get your edge guy. Well, you know, just like the individuals who write at AP, coaches are going to have their own views of players. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we make a lot of effort every year to try and come up with some kind of a uh, consensus analysis of how players will be drafted, how uh, prospects will be ranked in the draft. I go to a lot of trouble to make that thing happen. And, uh, but still an individual general manager or coach is likely to have a, a view that varies substantially from that. Right. Um, it's just impossible to predict how these things are going to go, but you know, that explains why the chiefs were happy to take Carl Aftis at that point. Right. Yeah, no, no, I a hundred percent, and they were able to 
trade up. And and I think for the second year in a row, and let's get into our, our draft conversation now. I think for the second year in a row, we were surprised at the position of the top pick a little bit, but we really shouldn't have been. Do you know what I mean? Like, so last mm-hmm. year, I remember yeah. when they, they took Nick Bolton, we're like, oh, yeah, uh, you know, linebacker does make a lot of sense. They they need to add at the <laughs> linebacker position, but it, it caught us all off guard. This year, we locked in on edge defender, mm-hmm. which is understandable, wide receiver, understandable. And they go and not only trade up, but they trade up for neither of those positions and go get a cornerback. Trent McDuffie out of Washington is the highlight of this NFL draft class. We talked about Carl Loftus. The Chiefs followed in the second round with wide receiver Sky Moore and safety Brian Cook. They went in the third round and got linebacker Leo Chanel, who is going to be a fan favorite. I can already tell. Uh, Round four, Joshua Williams out of Fayetteville State, small school. They went in the fifth round, and I know this is probably going to be your favorite, John. That's my prediction. But Darian Kennard out of Kentucky, we'll see later in the show if if he ends up being your favorite. And then in the seventh round, they went and got another cornerback in Jalen Watson with 243. They got a running back, which we nailed that that prediction with Isaiah Pacheco out of Rutgers. Nobody knows how to spell his first name. And then (laughs) number 259, defensive back, Nazee Johnson, and he was out of Marshall. So you had 10 picks there, and five of them were defensive backs, including the top pick. McDuffie will be expected to be a a day one starter outside. That that's my feel on that sure, one. Yeah. I think George Karloftis will expect it to will be expected to be a day one starter at that left defensive end edge position, even if they were to bring Melvin Ingram back as a rotational veteran guy. And I think Sky Moore will have a, a clear role. The other guys uh, are nice depth. And I and I I do like the Brett Beach strategy of going heavy defensive back. Uh, and we'll get to it. They ended up trading for a defensive back this week. But it's just throwing a lot of bodies at a position and, and, you know, a circumstances, you know, you can go after one in free agency. It's really expensive. They clearly liked McDuffie as a day one starter in the NFL draft. And now they're going to go to training camp. And we've seen them do this at other positions like running back, for example, throw a lot of defensive backs to the position and sort of see what sticks here. And I I think that generally was the overall theme of, of this year's NFL draft. I have to wonder if maybe uh, the Chiefs took a different approach to solving the defensive line problem than we might have imagined. And, you know, maybe this was as much because of the way the draft fell. Um, but, you know, you can argue that by making a substantial pr- improvement at the defensive backs, a position where the Chiefs have traditionally not, well, at least under Brett Veach, traditionally right. not invested a lot of draft capital, that by putting some more talent there, they make the job for the for the defensive line easier. You can make that argument. Now, whether or not that was the plan going into the draft, I don't know. Um, you know, it mm. might be that if the board had fallen differently, they might have traded up to get an, an edge rusher, and we'd have an entirely different view of this draft. In fact, it might have played out just as I thought that they'd take edge with their first two picks. Right. You know, suppose that suppose, for example, they were able to trade up for the third or fourth ranked edge player yeah. at 21. And then at 30, Carl Aftis is still sitting there. They take him too, you know, or they take Ojabo at that point uh, to take a, a home run swing. So I think a lot of it depends 
on how the board falls. But I think it's possible to argue that the Chiefs may have just decided the way things were that the best thing to do was to to emphasize the cornerbacks and take less pressure off the defensive line. I've mentioned this before on the podcast and and radio hits and whatnot that the Chiefs are you know much talked about right now is the change of the offense because the offense is going to look significantly different. You know, right. you have all these targets: Tyree Kill, one hundred fifty nine targets. Uh, you have Pringle and Demarcus, a combined one hundred. So those are going elsewhere. So the offense is going to look completely different. But the defense. I've said it before. They brought in Joe Cullen. He does his three four four three hybrid type of thing. I just think we don't even really know what the defensive line is going to look like. And when your defensive mm-hmm. line yeah. changes and it's more mm-hmm. of like a hybrid exotic type of thing, the entire defense is going to look different. And it did seem there like there was a shift here. Yes, they invested in an edge position, which they desperately needed. I mean, you were looking at a day sure. one where it was going to be Frank Clark and then Mike Dana. And I like Mike Dana, but sure. am I sure that he's a day one week one mm-hmm. starter at defensive end no the answer is no uh Karloftis, am i sure of that either no no one can be but Karloftis, and i saw this in the airhead pride comments we had a purdue and Karloftis came from purdue we had a purdue fan enter our comments and he said he was dominant early on in his college career and then they started putting two and three bodies on him right now if frank clark can be decent and chris jones can be dominant with a fresh wrist remember he had torn ligaments in his mm-hmm, wrist all right. last year and all of a sudden you're you have Karloftis against one and two to, two offensive linemen and, and blockers I feel pretty good about him maybe doing something at the pro level again we got a long way to go sure. uh, but we know that Steve Spagnuolo likes to rotate all of these guys so you desperately needed a body there um, this is a, a player that was what is a water polo guy he's been playing football for six or seven years so you have some clay that is moldable i think in carl Loftus. and so i i like trent mcduffie 510 a little bit undersized there for a cornerback but the chiefs are just very very high and and i don't know i got the feeling that if he wasn't the top cornerback on their board they at least would put him in that conversation with uh, a sauce gardener for example that went in the top 10 realistically i mean that that's how pumped up they were to get him they they said that they named about 16 to 18 what they would call first round grades mm-hmm. right they had one on mcduffie which is why they traded up from 29 to 21 to go get him it was it was a bit weird and it makes you feel dumb as someone who tries to analyze this team because we thought we were you thought the chiefs were trading ahead of the green bay packers to take the wide receiver but they were really trading ahead of the buffalo bills Right. Went and got McDuffie. The Bills end up going and getting Alam. So we always talk about the quarterback class and how, like, you know, when the quarterbacks are drafted in the same first round, they're always compared for their whole career. These are the two top teams in the AFC, and the Chiefs traded up. And instead of taking Elam, they go and get McDuffie. You know that Bills fans uh, really are going to be invested in the cornerback Elam. And they, these two. I'm going to have a little thing, I think, over the years as we go. And, and the Chiefs made that decision. I, I think you sometimes see the same thing with Mahomes and Watson. Or, you know, if you really want to make fun of Chicago, Mahomes and Trubisky. I think you get that a little <laughs> bit. And it'll be Chiefs and Bills fans specific. But I think they'll be watching this. And Elon, if you really look some, at some of his footage as well, he's a guy that really comes in with a, lot of, a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. And so I, I think it's just going to add to that Chiefs-Bills rivalry a little bit. You know, I would guess that if we sampled every SB Nation podcast for an NFL team this week, 
that there's going to be a discussion about the positions that the team drafted in the early rounds were different than they expected. And I, and I, and I have a reason for this. I've been looking at some numbers for an article that I'm working on. That'll be on arrowheadprod.com later today. But last year there were eight quarterbacks that were expected to go in the first round in the first, uh, the first three rounds. I think it, I think is the way the calculation works. Eight of 11. This year, there were what two or three that were expected to go in the first three rounds, yeah. and I think that that puts a you know if you have that many players that you know are going to go there, people pay a lot of attention to where quarterbacks are going to go. They spend a lot of time analyzing where quarterbacks are going to go, and so those positions are more they're not set in stone, but you have a clearer idea of how they're going to play out. Well, when there aren't a lot of quarterbacks in the draft then every pick is wide open, mm-hmm. at least as far as the, the pre-draft analysis is concerned. So I think that's part of what's going on here that went on in the 2022 draft is that because there were so few cornerbacks that gave us you know, milestones, let's call them, along the way that we could expect to happen, a play out a certain way, every team was like, okay, we don't have to worry about a quarterback. Let's you know, let's see how this goes. And because that was the case, they didn't know how other teams were going to pick their, use their picks either. And so there was a lot more variation, I think, this year across the board than we would typically see. Um, I think that's part of what we saw here. And I think that's part of the reason the Chiefs didn't necessarily go with the, the positions that we thought they would. Uh, you know, going into the draft, everybody's saying, oh, yeah, they're going to trade up and get a wide out. And maybe they would have mm-hmm. if the board had fallen differently. Maybe they tried and couldn't get a trading partner at, you know, the 10th or 11th pick uh, in order to get, you know, a guy like Jamison Williams, for example. Maybe they just couldn't make that happen. That's always a possibility. But I think some of it has to do with how much uncertainty there was at each pick in the first couple of rounds. Well, you saw defense start the draft, and then there was that offense offensive run, and it included a lot of the top wideouts. Yep. And when all these top-tier, sure, elite guys are gone by, what, pick 17 or whatever it was, it's mm-hmm. really hard at yeah. 29 mm-hmm. to trade up unless you're, unless you're taking a big bet. But I think when you come out of it and you end up getting 10 players – I think to an extent, maybe that was always the intention of the Chiefs. And if you wanted 10 players out of the draft, which they obviously considered pretty deep, then they're not going to sacrifice X amount of picks to go up and get a receiver, right. especially right. when you get to day two. And I probably the most shrewd move of the, the draft, and we'll get into it more and more as, as we go along with the show, was having George Pickens on, on the board at 51 saying, okay, um, you know, we, we like Pickens, maybe we like more. Let's trade back, get an additional pick between four and the what was, you know, the four sevens. And let's get an additional pick on, on, you know, in that in that day three, the beginning of it. And you end up not only with Sky Moore, who has much cleaner, you know, you, you look at everything, right? So he's got a much cleaner character. Sure. Than Pickens. And as far as a role player goes, maybe a, a better fit slot wise and some people think that he has the best hands in the nfl draft the personnel staff was like 
we watched the more tape and we watched it and watched it and watched it and we couldn't find a drop. I mean, how many times with these marginal mm-hmm. receivers or these role player receivers in Kansas City, even with Byron Pringle, who we thought were, was going to be great once he got a, a starting role, we just dropped the football. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Demarcus dropping the football, yeah. running backwards. <laughs> Demetrius Harris for all those years. Why is he making the tough catches but drops the small ones. Right, for the right. Chiefs fans have been around the block here in, in this Andy Reid era. Junior Hemingway, why are you dropping the easy pass? <laughs> why am I mentioning Junior Hemingway? But anyway, wow, a Junior Hemingway mission that doesn't happen every day. No, so <laughs> I like this guy more. Pick. It seems like they like Brian Cook. I'll get into this more too. Joshua Williams. I I, I asked this question with the Brett Reach press conference yesterday, and you can go back from the podium if you want to listen to the whole thing. I, I believe he spoke for about twenty five minutes. Steve put it up there, but. Uh, Joshua Williams, I think they they think this is another luxurious need, at least from what I gathered. And we talked about how McDuffie was undersized at 5'11". They really want to see what they have in Joshua Williams. And he's six foot three, one ninety seven. So like even though and this is this jumped out to me, too, John, even though they went short, they really liked the traits of McDuffie and, and thought he was going to go way before the 29th mm-hmm. pick, yep. even though he's a shorter guy. Um, they like him as a day one starter, but if you notice as they were investing in the defensive back positions, and then we can move on to the rest of the show, they went much taller with yeah. the rest of the defensive backs that you know they were going after. Joshua Williams came in at six three, Jalen Watson in the seventh, six three, uh, Nazee Johnson in the seventh came in at six two, Lonnie Johnson, right? He, he's he's a taller player as well that they ended up trading for so. Yes, the top player is five foot eleven, but I, you know, I think they look at him as more of this honey badger type of guy. Like he's undersized, but he knows he's undersized, and he's going to still beat you. And they really like the upside of him. But they went taller with the rest of the defensive backs. It does, like again, it, it just seems altogether there is a little bit of a, a defensive scheme shift going on. I'm wondering if we're going to get a chance to talk to him at rookie mini camp. I, I don't know if we do. I, I can't really remember, but at least in training camp. I'm very eager for the first Spagnolo presser because he's usually mm. pretty revealing about what's going on. And you, right. you sense that there are going to be some differences to the, the defense this year. My thing is this. I thought they did well. I think they came out. I thought every one of the picks made sense. My thought, and I want to throw out, and I'd like to cause people to think, and I know BK will have something. I have something on this too. But is it, is it good? Is it the class really this good? Is this draft class really this good for the Chiefs? Or is this like a hometown thing to where, hey, man, they pick guys in certain positions as long as they didn't draft like a quarterback in the first two rounds or a punter or a kicker. Like it was like, oh, I like that guy. Like every person, oh, oh, I like that guy. I heard nobody talk. I heard nobody talk about Brian Cook. Oh. So I love Brian. I mean, people talk about cats. This Joshua Williams, I know none of y'all have seen at Fayetteville State. Not a not a one of you. But oh, I like him. Long, lanky, doing what Serta does about baseball breakdowns. Is it <laughs> is it a is it a good class or is this Homer? Like, because there, there's a mix of both, Brandon. I just want to throw it out. I mean, first of all, it's totally fair uh, to to wonder that. The thing that I like to do after something like this, because 
I more often than not, although this was not the case early on in Brett Feature's tenure, but more often than not, I'll I'll find myself like, okay, yeah, I, I can kind of see what you're trying to do here. I'll talk myself into it over time. For what it's worth, this one I didn't have to do that with. Other than the first selection, we'll get to Trent McAuliffe here in a little bit. But I felt pretty good about basically every pick they made from start to the finish. And what I wanted to do is at the end, I wanted to go to some of the national analysts, the guys that I trust to find out, okay, is this just us? Like as Chiefs fans who knew, okay, you got a ton of draft capital and they seemed to use it well. They moved up and down the draft board. They got guys that if you're doing one of those mock draft simulators before, you couldn't even get these guys because they wouldn't have fallen to where the Chiefs took them. Is it just that or is it something more? And Dane Brugler, for my money, is the best draft analyst in the country. I think he's excellent. He had the Chiefs as his second favorite draft overall this year. He said the pick that stood out to him is the one that I loved. You know this, Ron. I was talking about Sky Moore all show last week. If they could come away with weekend. one player, I wanted all, Sky Moore. All weekend, he's texting, oh, God, he's still there. He's still there. <laughs> Dane Brugler's favorite pick, not for the Chiefs, in the draft out of all 200 plus selections was sky more to the Kansas city chiefs. So I'm not alone in this. It is not just us. I do think that the chiefs genuinely had a really good draft. Now that doesn't mean you're going to get a bunch of all pros out of this. There's still a lot that needs to be proven from these guys. Once they get to the league and we kind of kind of break these guys down individually, but I do think it was like, if you're giving this a grade, I don't think you can come away with a much better draft given where the Chiefs started at the 29th and 30th overall picks. Yeah, I I, I think the big thing for me is because I, you know, listen, I, I know what we all do is these grades, these grades. But for me, it's, it's did, did it make sense? Like, did, did what you did make, did it make sense? Can I, can I follow what your idea and thought was? All right. I tell you, I'm shocked, and we'll get to Trent McDuffie here in a bit. I'm shocked they went corner and they moved up to go get corner. I have been asking for them to go and and, and make that position a priority, and they did it. Surprised me. I thought for sure it was Jermaine Johnson they were going up to get, but they went up and got the corner. Okay, that makes sense. George Karloftis, that makes sense. The the pass rusher, we'll, we'll talk about him. Uh, and then receiver, we knew they were going to try to go there, thought that in their first three picks, probably receiver somewhere, and they go and get Sky Moore, who you were wanting. Listen, it's a preference thing. I, I really liked George Pickens, and especially to fit with what this group is, but uh, it's a preference thing. But it makes sense, the type of guy that they're trying to get. Brian Cook. Uh, listen, I, I love this kid's physicality, something about this kid. But it all, but a position where, like, to me, like, I look at that and I think, well, that guy's going to be back there instead of oh, clean Dan. Ooh, I mean, there you've upgraded there at, a, at another safety spot. And Leno Chanel, I, 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 like, I, I like him too, and that makes sense. Somebody play one of those, those weak sidelines. So that's the only thing I could do is, listen, man, does it make sense? Like when when you when you went and drafted Breland Speaks, that didn't make sense to me from the jump. Like that that didn't make sense. You drafted a guy to try to play outside that didn't play outside in college at Ole Miss, and because he laid on the ground and waved, and that was the that was the big photo of Breland Speaks at, at Ole Miss, I believe. 
I believe that got Brent Veach horny <laughs> in his first draft, football horny at least. And he said, I got to get that guy. Look at that fella. He lays on the ground and waves. Just and you know what's funny, Ron? His explanation as to why he loved him coming out of that, I'm never going to forget this. Because I remember hearing him, because I didn't know anything it's about not because Breland's he waved. Is, it, is that what you're about to say? Oh, okay. All right. he, said, he said, the guy's never on the ground. When you watch him, the guy's never on the ground. I remember, Ron, going back <laughs> and watching one game. I'm not kidding. The first game that I watched of him, I saw him on the ground no fewer than five times. It's like, what the hell is Brett Veach watching? Like, what did I miss here? It was weird. <laughs> yeah. That didn't make sense. That didn't make sense oh. at all. And, and so uh, that's at least what I could say. Does it make sense? Can I understand what you're doing? And 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 I at least give them that. Because, man, Doug, I, I've heard GM say this. It's a crapshoot, man. You you never know. I mean, there's, there's John Baldwin walking around there in the first round. And then there's Tyreek Hill in the fifth. So, I mean, it's a crapshoot. You don't know what you're looking at. But it at least makes sense. And that and that's all I can ask from Brett Veach and Andy Reid. I, I think Brett was just a little too anxious about his first draft when he took Braylon Speaks. And that wasn't as comfortable speaking with the media. And I think we can, we can just throw that pick out the window and we never have to speak about oh, it. Oh, can we? But okay. it's I think when you're looking at a draft class – and you look at, you know, all of the consensus boards, all of the analysis and breakdowns and, and video that all these people are, are creating and grinding all throughout the draft season, all the information that we have available now, the smartest teams have those boards too. They have those numbers. They have the things that say like, you know, this is our best chance of getting this player at this time. And when you look at the Chiefs draft, I don't think there's any point in the draft where you could say they like significantly reached on a player. Like they had a good draft where it was just, it seemed like every pick they made was a good value pick for where they were in the draft. And they were making smart moves. They were moving around, but they were not giving up too much to move around. Like they were making smart moves, moving back in the second round to get sky Moore and picking up that fifth round pick that wound up becoming canard is a really smart move that worked out for them. And so when you take, when you take a step back and just look at the draft class, I just think they made a lot of smart moves and that's why you should feel good about it. I also think that, man, that is such an important point because Ron, so much about the draft is not just what you're willing to do. It's also what the teams around you are doing in Intel. It's almost as much about an investigation on what other teams are going to do as anything else. Like the chiefs move up to 21. Why, why did they do that? Because they apparently knew the Bills wanted a corner. And based on some of the stuff that has come out since the draft, I think the Bills wanted Trent McDuffie. And so the Chiefs move up to 21 to be able to get him because they didn't think they were going to be able to get McDuffie and maybe even Kyrie Elam if they stay put. So you make that move to go get your guy. I thought it was kind of risky to not take a defensive end there. I didn't think George Karloftis was going to be available when they picked at 30. He was. They ended up getting a guy that I thought they might have to move up for at 30 overall in the draft. At 50, I thought, okay, you got to stay here. You've got George Pickens and Sky Moore on the board. These are the two receivers we talked about potentially taking at 30. How are you going to move back from here? Well, they move back, they get one of those two guys. So it was just the way they moved up and down the board. I think they did a really good job of not just knowing what they wanted, what they needed positionally, but also where to take those guys and which teams were at risk of taking the players that they specifically wanted. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think, like I said, they everything from all that you talked about, from the trading up and moving back, everything made sense. Now, we don't know if it's going to work, but everything 100%. at least made sense, and that's what you you got to go to. And now 
when we do that and look at who they got, like for me, man, I listen, I'm going to focus on these top five. Okay. Uh, listen, man, uh, I'm sure some somebody's doing a breakdown on Jalen Watson uh, and uh, Nazir, Nazai Johnson for Marshall, whatever. Some of these late pick guys. It's not It's not Ozzy. And, and also uh, Isaiah Pacheco. That's a guy we got to talk about. Serta and I have some thoughts. Okay. I don't. Okay. Is that the Rutgers running back? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Oh, yeah. Hey, okay. I think he right. got drafted just because of that combine pick with the sunglasses. All right. Did you um, see that guy? He he said, I'm taking a grown man's job. Yeah. Okay. Well, calm down, Chief. Uh, but listen, when you look at the top five, that, that's why I'm going to uh, kind of narrow this down to it. And those are the the premium picks, the top three rounds. Um, they go McDuffie, the quarterback out of Washington at 21. Carloftis, the defensive end we talked about out of Purdue, the pass rusher. Those arguably were the two biggest needs. Hell, one, two, three, their three biggest needs, uh, corner, in whatever order, defensive end, and then they get Sky Moore in the second round uh, over there as a receiver, their three biggest needs. Brian Cook, the safety out of Cincinnati, and Leo Chanel, uh, the linebacker out of Wisconsin. Um, when I look at those five, I think – I think every last one of them, all five, have an above-average chance uh, to be solid NFL players, to be solid guys that will last past uh, one contract, right? I, I, like, and I don't mean just like special teams guys. I think contributors, like on in it as a linebacker with Chanel and as as a receiver, all all their positions. I think they will be contributors like above average opportunity to do that now maybe not all five will but above average some somehow darren o'daniel is still playing for the Chiefs. so i i mean uh so he's yeah, gone now right he, he, he is still playing i couldn't believe he was out there in important downs last year I, i'm shocked that he was with the chiefs for as long as he was <laughs> right but i look at these guys and i think they'll they'll all be solid but man when you have the ammo the chiefs had Coming to this draft, two in the first, two in the second, two in the third, two in the fourth. And the Chiefs have had Hall of Famers here recently in all those rounds, including the third, and great players at all those rounds. You do want to come out with all those picks and wonder, you got any you got anybody with great potential? You got anybody with straight up Pro Bowl potential? Like I said, I think all of them will be solid that top five. But is there any great there? Who like like do you when you look at this crew of that top five? Do you see any of them that is great, or did they just get a bunch of solid dudes? Right, like it's it it is it it is interesting to look at them and think, all right, boy, what what is the you know game changing trait? From them, because when I look at McDuffie, I I see a solid, luxurious need type player, physical on the outside. I don't know that I see like game changing trait. Carloftis, I mean, he may be somebody who may be better on pass rushing downs, get kicked inside, and rush against guards. You know, I don't know that it, it, that speed around the corner. I don't know if he has that game changing. And Sky Moore just seems like a really solid receiver that does everything well. But maybe not like on 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 and down the line with all of those top five. It, do you feel any great potential? I don't know if I feel great out of anybody. 
I think they're so he, if you're if I'm trying to sell you on upside for what it's worth, I actually agree with what you're saying. I think they got a lot of guys that are really solid. And I'm not saying and, it's bad. I'm not I'm just like when you get that many picks, that many you get you come into a draft with six premium picks in the top three rounds. Like, boy, you're gonna pull it. Can you get one pro bowler out of that? And I think part of that is just the way this draft set up this year. There was a lack of premium talent in the draft in general. The teams that were uh, taking top 10 selections, like you saw some teams that were clearly, man, can we get out of this pick? Like we're, we're about to take a tackle that we think we should probably be taking at 17. And we're taking this dude at six or like your team down there in Houston, Ron, they took an offensive guard that seems to profile as a pretty good player. Took him what top 15. Like, that's not where you want to take that guy. Uh, and that's just the way that this draft class kind of set up. It didn't have the same premium talent that you see in typical years. But if I'm going to sell you on the upside play, Trent McDuffie, like, would you say that if he becomes Chris Harris Jr., is that upside? Because Chris Harris Jr. was a really good yeah, player. A, but that's a Pro Bowl guy. Like, that's a guy that was a perennial Pro Bowler. There. I think that's the upside. And that doesn't, like, he's never going to be a Jalen Ramsey. There is no chance of that oh, because no, no. he just doesn't have that kind of length. Like, he's missing certain pieces to his game that Jalen Ramsey, he is the, the five-tool baseball player that you always look for. That's Jalen Ramsey at corner. McDuffie's not that. He's got arms that are shorter than mine. Like, it's just, there's something that's missing from him. But he could be Chris Harris Jr. and that's a really good player. If I told well, that's you that's a Pro Bowl player, I'd take that right now. Absolutely, like I, and, and that's the the ceiling is that George Karloftis. This isn't a totally fair comparison, but it's just the best I've kind of got offhand. Like Trey Hendrickson, really good player, man, borderline Pro Bowl player, crushed the Chiefs in that AFC Championship game. Was awesome in the playoffs this year for the Bengals. Had a great couple of seasons as well for the Saints. George Karloftis could be that. I think mm. that's kind of the ceiling, but that's Ooh. that's kind of what you're hoping he that becomes. Dude's a, that dude's a pro bowler, man. His life, that dude's good. But it took a little bit. It took a little bit to get there for him to develop those pass rush moves. But yeah, he's a really good player. I think George Karloftis could be that eventually down the road. I don't expect him to be that right away. If I told you that Sky Moore became, this might sound like a, a weird comp, but somewhere between like a golden Tate and Stefan Diggs. Cause I don't think he's Diggs. Everybody gets c- compared to Diggs now. And, and it's kind of like the Tyreek Hill thing, right? If you're fast and you play uh, be- bigger than you are size wise, so everybody's going to compare you to Tyreek. Nobody's Tyreek Hill. Sky Moore's upside is really good wide receiver that can play all over the field that wins off of the line of scrimmage and can win at every level of the defense. That guy could make a Pro Bowl when he's playing with Patrick Mahomes. Like, that's the upside of all of these guys. I don't think any of them are, like, all pro, super unique talents. Yeah. But all of them have the upside to, at their best, be Pro Bowlers. I guess that's kind of the way that I would describe them. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. 